It's common knowledge that MMIW cases are cases that rarely find justice. Families spend days, months, years, decades looking for their loved ones, waiting for answers, and praying to see their loved one walk through the door. Over the years, we rarely have updates. Cases grow cold. Our Indigenous sisters remain missing. Our Indigenous sisters never get the justice they deserve. Today, we bring you an update on Jamie Yazzie of the Navajo Nation. If you're unfamiliar, she went missing in 2019 and her remains were discovered two years later. We're also going to tell you about another case. We're also going to tell you about another case, a Navajo woman from Arizona who went missing in 1987, who until recently was known as a California Jane Doe. Her name is Christine Lester. Hey guys, this is Ash. This is Shiashi. This is Maggie, and you're listening to We Are Resilient. Well, it's nice to see you guys because I we we've been over Zoom like forever, so we're all in the same room. I don't have the baby. She doesn't have the baby. Have you guys watched Killers of the Flower Moon yet? No. So don't tell me if you have. I have not. I've read the book. I have watched it. I'm hoping to go next weekend. I wasn't able to go this weekend, so. Yeah, it was pretty good. It's a long movie, though. Three hours, right? I mean, I've I've sat through Titanic. I can do it. See, that was a Leo movie, too. I really don't like going to the movies. I would rather wait till it comes out and watch it at my house. I'm starting to be that way. Yeah. The movies, it's just like, I don't know. People get loud, and then, you know, I I feel like I would rather just be like. I, I like a balance. Sometimes I do like to go to the movies, but I think more times than not, I like to just watch it at home. Yeah. It depends what it is. The last movie I went was the the Taylor Swift movie, and it was everything I thought it would be and more. Well, that's like a concert, though, right? Yeah, I sang. I, like, screamed sang. I was one of them that people are complaining about, like, Taylor Swift fans at movies or don't have any, you know. What about Taylor Swift, like, making, uh, what's his name? Travis Kelty famous now. Well, apparently (laughs) he was famous before, but with the NFL people and men. We've seen the TikToks. But now, like, he's worldwide. Like, <laughs> the Swifties know him. Everybody knows. I didn't know who he was before Taylor Swift. He's been worldwide because people would, like, fawn over him. Well, apparently he won two Super Bowls. He did. I didn't know who he was. Him and his brother went against each other in a Super Bowl. So Maggie's, like, the football guru of this group right here. Because <laughs> I had no idea who well, Travis Kelsey was. Well, I knew Kelsey that he was. danced. I knew he danced in the end zones. Because I did see those on TikTok. But I didn't know, like, oh, that's Travis Kelsey. But then when he started dating Taylor Swift, I was like, oh, Travis Kelsey. I Okay. Now it's like a household name is what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get it. It's funny. The other day, my kids were in the car and they were like, hey, mom, do you know how you root for the Kansas City Chiefs now? <laughs> I was like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go Chiefs. <laughs> All okay. right. So let's get into our story. I actually okay. have an update first. Okay. And then I'll get into my story. So if you guys will recall, she actually did a mini episode and then she also did an update on Jamie Yazzie. Yes. Jamie Yazzie is a mother of three boys who went missing in June of 2019 and was last seen in Pinion, Arizona at her boyfriend's house. Even though blood was collected from his home, the results did not come back until two years later in 2021 and was a match to Jamie. Her high-profile search sparked fire in the MMIW movement in Arizona, especially when her remains were found in November of 2021 on the Hopi Reservation in northeastern Arizona. Now, I remember this because even though her remains were found in November, it wasn't officially announced until February that next year. 
And I can't remember why it took so long for them to announce. I think they had to send it off to the lab to identify her remains because it had been so long. To be like positively identified? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and that makes sense. Because I want it to be sure. Mm-hmm. James was arrested in 2022. And in September of this year, 2023, a jury found Trey James, 31, of Pinion, Arizona, her boyfriend at the time, guilty of first-degree murder of Jamie. He was also found guilty of several acts of domestic violence committed against three former intimate and dating partners. Oh, my God. The family was in attendance for the seven-day trial. James faces a mandatory life sentence for his crimes, and his sentencing date is set for January 29th, 2024. So it's coming up. James was charged with nine... Did you say January? January 29th, 2024. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, damn, it's almost January. (laughs) It is almost January. About three months. I was like, no, that's not coming up. That's next year. She was like, that's, that's too far. Well, off. technically it is next year. You should have seen her face. She looked confused for a second. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Continue. I'm sorry. James was charged with nine federal crimes. In counts one and two, James shot and killed Jamie, which he was found guilty of. But while investigating Jamie's disappearance, law enforcement uncovered several acts of violence James committed against other women. This is since the Jamie Ozzie incident. What? The jury unanimous. Well, that's what they discovered. Oh, my God. Since then. Not that they all happened during that time. Oh, okay. 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 I get it. The jury unanimously found him guilty of these domestic violence counts as well as counts three through nine. Those three brave women were able to stand up and testify against him for what he did to them. He brutally assaulted a woman. He suffocated. Mm. He strangled. He ran over one with his car. (gasps) He put dog poop in one's mouth and he (gasps) locked her in the bathroom with no running water overnight. What? Wait, stop. How is he? Uh, that is horrific. Wor- okay, so he mm-hmm. wasn't arrested until they brought all these charges in regards to Jamie Yazzie's murder? Well, these women were able to come in and testify against him, stating all these things he did to them. Oh, my God. Yeah, but he was never charged prior to that, right? Not for these counts. Oh, my God. So they never reported this to the police or anything? While they were, yeah. So when they finally arrested him in 2021, no, I'm sorry, in 2022, they arrested him. And so he's been in jail this whole time. They were, and so while they were investigating Jamie Yazzie's case and, you know, his mm-hmm. um, his involvement in her homicide, these other women came forward and testified, brought into the investigation what he did to them. And so these were things that they testified at his court hearing. That is so terrible. And that is why they added on counts three through nine. Oh, my God. The family spoke how they had to walk millions of miles to bring awareness to Jamie's case. The family has fought hard to keep her name out there and to fight for justice. They still haven't gotten her body, and it could still be another six months before she's brought home for a proper burial. But as sad and tragic as this story is, they at least have an answer to what happened to her. And they have a conviction. It is a rare MMIW case to end this way with closure, but is no less any less heartbreaking. You know, I was going to say that. I was like, I feel like we should celebrate or applause or something because we rarely see these cases go all the way through the process and have some kind of conclusion and some kind of resolve you know, resolve and the perpetrator being held accountable. Cause most of these cases are, are unsolved or we have a, a good idea who did it, but it's just never going to be resolved. Well, I guess it's really, I mean, even though he is convicted, really it's not over until the sentencing, because if they give him one, oh, one too. life term, he's out in 30 years and he could, you know, how old is he? 30? 31. Yeah. I mean, that's only 60 years old. That's not a lifetime. Yeah. So that's kind of where justice fails, too, is like oh, in the sentencing portion of it. That makes sense. Because then what kind of help is he getting in jail? Yeah. Because if he, we learn all these horrific things that he's done to, to people through this case. I mean, that guy is in serious need of some 
mental health evaluations. He needs some help. But he is, that is monstrous stuff but to he give is people. facing a mandatory life sentence for the nine counts. So we're hoping that that carries through in January. What is a mandatory? I think it's only 30 years. That's it? I think. He could be possibly 61, 62 yeah. when he's out. But I'm pretty sure we looked it up before, and a mandatory life sentence in most states is only 30 years. And this is in Arizona? Mandatory. What I think we mentioned this before, too, but what's really scary is you said there was a strangulation charge. And all the statistics show that strangulation is basically like the next thing before murder. Like if someone strangles you, then they are capable of killing you. So yeah. it's scary that that woman had to endure that. But it's, you know, amazing that she survived it and was able to testify. I wasn't aware of that. Strangulation, an intimate partner violence, strangulation is basically like the most common predecessor to murder or death. That's scary. Um, This says, if the defendant is sentenced to life, the defendant shall not be released on any basis until the completion of the service of 25 calendar years. If the murdered person was 15 or more years of age and 35 years, if the murdered person was under 15 years of age or was an unborn child. I was reading how many years? 25. So it's not even 30. And I Googled mandatory life sentences in Arizona. This is a this is based off statistics. Okay. So when the perpetrator strangles as a form of power and control over their intimate partner by controlling their breathing, this pressure can lead to a loss of consciousness within five to ten seconds and cause death within a few minutes. Because such a thin line exists between unconsciousness and death, strangulation sits just before homicide on the continuum of domestic violence risk assessment. Yeah, I didn't know that was I didn't know that that was there was such a fine line. Between that and then I guess what the next step would be. Well, even with that, with strangulation, he ran over one with his car. Yeah, like that's is, attempted murder. Yeah. And how was he not charged for that? She didn't report it. Well, he is. Oh. He is. Um, he is. That's one of the nine counts. Well, I mean, like prior to this. Oh. They probably, know. what they did is they've interviewed his previous partners and said, you yeah. know, have you ever experienced violence yeah. with this man? Um, and then all this stuff came out. Yeah. And they the dog poop in their mouth. I can't even take the smell of dog poop. Just, I, this man is horrific. 25 years is not enough. Mm-mm. No. Definitely not. Not at all. Not for the loss of Jamie Ozzie. Well, and you think about how many lives has he changed and traumatized, you know, if not just counting Jamie and her sons and her family. You've got the women he's abused, you know, are they getting the help they need? And are they going to carry this on into their next relationships where their kid kids involved? Do their kids see this? I mean, one person can affect like how many people. And if this person doesn't get any kind of help and they potentially can get out in 25 years, that's a problem. I can't imagine being the, you know, the family of a loved one either knowing that eventually they might be out on the streets again. Mm-hmm. That has to be terrifying. But yeah. I am really glad that, you know, her family is, is getting answers because it doesn't always happen. Or at least he's arrested, and now, you know, it's not just the community, but the world's going to know just how terrible this man is. You know what I mean? Like, he's been able to get away with so much because it kept under the radar. People were silent about it. And we know why. There's reasons why women don't come forward. We, we all know this. But that's how these abusers tend to thrive, is they thrive under the silence. So now that he's been spotlighted and exposed, hopefully, if... Whatever the sentencing is, if it's not what it should be, hopefully, you know, more people are aware of who this person is. So that's an update on Jamie Yazzie. And we hope that her family finds some kind of comfort in this Mm -hmm. resolve. And hopefully be able to bring her home soon. Yeah. You said within six months. Yeah. 
So let me get into my story for today. I remember hearing about this back in May. Um, it was like an update, I guess. I'd see it on the news, like on the internet, not local news. So this one was a cold case and didn't get much attention. But after 36 years, the family finally brought her home for a proper burial. And this is the story of Christine Lester. Uh, and you may recall it as I go into it. Christine Lester is a member of the Navajo Nation and was a student at High School Indian Nations University. Before she went off to school, she attended Toyahi Junior High Boarding School and graduated from Tuba City High School. She, like all the other women's stories we shared, was loved by her family. She was a daughter, a sister, an aunt, and a granddaughter. A vibrant young woman who was adventurous and kind and the center of attention among her cousins and her family. And she was just 24 years old. So let's get into her story and what happened 36 years ago. On May 5th, 1987, Christine was home and decided to go to the mall to purchase Mother's Day gifts for her mother and grandmother since it was close to Mother's Day. She planned to travel from the Indian Wells location, which is located in the Navajo Nation in Arizona, to the Flagstaff Mall by hitchhiking. Now we know today that's a big no, you don't hitchhike, but you see this was the 80s and everybody hitchhiked. Mm-hmm. It was kind of normal. She told her uncle she was heading out and she planned to be back by, th- by the time he came home from work. But you see, Christine never made it home that day, nor the next day, or the next week, or even any time that month. She just never came home. Her family filed a missing persons report in the days after her disappearance, but she was gone. It's like she just vanished without a trace, without any leads. And so for the last 36 years, her family has lived with questions, hopes, and fears for Christine. In May of this year, in 2023, her family received some devastating news. Shauna Rockwell, her sister, received the phone call that Christine's body had been identified. Christine's remains have been buried in a gravesite for all these years, labeled Jane Doe. The Mandera County Sheriff's Office, which is located in California, near Fresno, said that they found a woman dead on the side of a rural county road just 16 days after Christine went missing. But no identification was made of who the woman was or the manner of how she could have possibly passed was given. Just days after Christine disappeared, the decomposed body of a woman was found by a tractor-trailer driver in rural Mandera County, California just north of the San Joaquin River. The woman wore jeans, a multicolored t-shirt, and white tennis shoes, and was described as tall and thin. Medical examiners later determined that she was likely of Asian descent, about 30 to 50 years old, and had been dead for around 30 days. Her death was a homicide, though investigators declined to release the exact cause, believing it was something they could use to help identify her killer. Wait, so they said the the first initial thought was she was Asian of Asian descent and between 30 and 50, but mm-hmm. she was only... 24. 24. Mm-hmm. Okay. A statewide bulletin was released by the county, yet they found no missing woman ma- matching this description, and the case quickly went cold. Well, no women matching the description because the description was, was wrong. Wrong. Way, way wrong. off. Well, you know, and what? How do they determine someone's ethnicity when they find a body? I don't know. Just by how they look? You I know what know. I was thinking about? It's like when I go to the DMV, like, they don't ever say, like, <laughs> <laughs> prove you're Native American. Yeah. They just, you know, they just yeah. say, what's your race? And you write it on a piece of paper. Yeah. And so in the two news articles, that's your comparison. <laughs> no, but seriously, that's a government program. And they're like, okay, what race are you? Like, you're going to verify? <laughs> Bring your light bill. <laughs> Bring your light. It's not going to be your light Proof of residency. I mean, that makes sense. Like, how do you determine that? Because if there's that misclassification going on and something like that, like, like, How is it just more? a guess? Yeah, yeah, I mean, it sounds like it was. Maybe it's like, just the way she looked. I really don't know because one news article said it was 16 days they found her, and then this news article said it was 30 days. So it was anywhere between two weeks yeah. to a month that after she was last seen that they found her. 
So I don't know what state her mm. her decomposed body would have been in at that time. But it makes you think, like, how many how many unsolved cases are out there that could be solved if there wasn't just a mismatch in just the very description of who they are? Yeah. Well, that and that's part of, like, what we talk about with the MIW database is that there's not one. So a lot of times... Native American women are classified as white. Yeah. Or Hispanic. Mm -hmm. So if they thought a white or Hispanic woman was missing, you know, they wouldn't even, maybe not even associate that with Asian at all, you know? Yeah. None of that matches. So you might be thinking, well, how did they know it was Christine? You know, she's been missing for 36 years from Arizona. And now they're saying this Jane Doe is her that was found in Mandera County. Mm -hmm. Now they're saying this Jane Doe is her that was found in Mandera County in California. And she's been buried there this whole time. Well, this is how they know. So in 2020, a deputy renewed the efforts to try to identify this Jane Doe. Her body was exhumed to create a DNA profile. In March of 2023, a DNA match to one of Christine's brother was made and confirmed. The sheriff's office stated this is now an open homicide investigation after 36 years. The family did relate in one news article that they received an odd letter written to Christine more than five years after she went missing. Shauna, her sister, stated, and I quote, to this day, we don't know who wrote it. She left in 87, and the letter was written back in 92 or 93, hmm. which was really weird because she didn't have a boyfriend that we knew of, and it was kind of explicit. I don't think, oh. I don't think Christine would ever do some of the things this guy mentioned to me. I don't think Christine would ever do some of these things this guy mentioned. It was as if he knew something about Christine, end quote. And this letter is now in the hands of the authorities. So it was a very explicit letter. That so was, we don't know the extent of what was written in the letter? No, they didn't share. But it was very explicit, the family stated. Oh, my God. So the letter was mailed to her family home? Mm-hmm. To Christine. Addressed to her? Mm-hmm. Like four to five years after she was missing. Was missing. That's weird. Yeah. Very weird. weird. Yeah. And who would know that? In May of 2023, Christine was brought home. The family received her remains and her family held a procession to escort Christine from Flagstaff to a family gravesite on the Navajo Nation where they had a memorial service on May 5th. Mm -hmm. And how somber was it that she was brought home and buried on the exact Mm -hmm. same day that she went missing 36 years earlier and on National MMIW Day, a day to raise awareness of missing and slain Indigenous people. Isn't that crazy? Sad. 36 years to the day that they last seen her, Mm -hmm. they buried her. I watched the interview with her sisters and her brother, but they were all in a car and they were kind of like had the phone up on the dashboard and were filming Mm -hmm. themselves in this interview. And they were in their like 50s or 60s now, I would guess. And even all these years later, they still cried in the interview and they were very emotional talking about her and bringing her home and just getting some kind of closure and knowing that they don't know what happened to her. They just always hoped that one day she would show up and bring a little family home with her. And introduced mm. them to oh, her kids. Yeah. So it just broke my heart just seeing them, you know, live those emotions and express those emotions. You see, I hate that women can't go out shopping. I hate that uh, mothers and grandmothers, you know, we have to be cautious. We mm-hmm. can't go out shopping for them for Mother's Day gifts. And I hate that we have to be extra cautious if we go out alone. And then we can't go out at night. We always have to be mindful of our surroundings at all times. We can't ever let our guard down. Even if we're just out getting groceries or running errands. We, can, we just can't let her guard down just because we're indigenous women. I just don't think it's supposed to be that way. You know, I think I, I can't imagine the emotions you feel when someone's going missing and you know that they're out there. You just have no idea if they're okay, if they're dead. It, you don't have any idea. So just when you know where they are, even after 36 years, you know, you're like, okay, they're here. I know where she is. 
You well, know? I think most families, I mean, it seems like betrayal to give up and say, well, they're yeah. dead, you know? Yeah. Like, they always have to have that hope of saying, you know, we'll find her, It, you know? Mm-hmm. Because what if she wasn't? And what if she came back, you know? So families always have to have that hope, and they do. Mm-hmm. And that's, it, it is really, really sad that it took almost 40 years for this family to get closure and to get answers. Yeah. It's just so sad. I just hate that families have to endure that pain and that burden. I will say, I mean, props to them for at least looking into these older cases and reopening them and, you know, seeing it through and finding answers. Yeah. There may not be a killer, but there's a positive identification, which is a very good start. Yeah. And it sounds like they've got a good bit to go off on if they're not going to reveal a lot of information, a lot of the information. And then this really cryptic letter that shows up four to five years after she vanishes. That's that's scary itself. So still sounds like there's still a lot of unanswered questions, at least at this point, her family has a little bit of closure because they know where she's at. The Bandera County Sheriff's Office said they know the cause of death, but they're not releasing it to the public because it's something only the killer would know. And they don't want to jeopardize the investigation. They do have leads in several investigative avenues they are looking into right now, but they are confidential. They ask if anyone has any information on the homicide of Christine Lester to call the Bandera County Sheriff's Office at 559-675-7770 and ask to speak to Detective Louise Padgett. Thank you for listening to We Are Resilient. For links to information found for this episode, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Are Resilient Podcast. Send us an email at weareresilientpod at gmail.com or visit us at www.war-podcast.com.